All right, so we're reading from 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, verses 11 to uh, 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to you, to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks, Rob. Um, six to eight are staying in church uh, uh, with the adults today, so a special treat for you guys. All right. Uh, now, 2 Corinthians 5 is, is one of my favourite chapters in the Bible, and uh, I know I'm a little bit prone to saying that about whichever chapter I happen to be preaching this week. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit fickle like that, but uh, I think this really is actually one of my favourite chapters uh, in, in the Bible. And, and the reason for that is that it shows us what matters most. It shows us what really matters, what's important in life. Paul is writing to the, uh, the, the Corinthians and he's having to address concerns and questions that have been raised about him. And so he tells them plainly what he's about, what matters most to him, what he lives for, what motivates him. And in doing that, he, he gives us a, a window into his heart and he gives us a model for us to follow. I think it's easy for us to just sort of drift along in life, to just drift along day by day, week by week, year by year. And a passage like this helps us to stop, to, to draw back, to, to see the bigger picture and to think about what matters most. And that's my hope and my prayer this morning that we would do that, that we would see what matters most to the Apostle Paul and what matters most to God and that we would be shaped by that as we look at this part of God's word. So we're picking things up um, halfway through the chapter. Uh, today's passage is a, a continuation of what Paul was, has, was saying, uh, what we looked at last week. We saw last week Paul's eternal perspective, uh, that, that perspective that sees this life, this body as being like a, a temporary flimsy tent that uh, one day is going to be replaced by our eternal heavenly house. And so we, we groan now, longing for that heavenly dwelling and we, we look forward to our true home and we have our confidence in God that he's going to take us there one day and we know that we will all one day appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
That's, that's Paul's eternal perspective that we saw last week. That's, and that motivates and drives him to live now in a certain way. That shapes what matters most. Uh, we, we, uh, we see that unpacked in the, this next, the second half of this chapter, as he says in the next verse, verse 11, uh, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. He's just said in verse 10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the future. We're going to appear before Christ. And that's the, the clear testimony throughout the scriptures um, in other places, such as in uh, Hebrews 9.27, where it says people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The Bible is very clear that there will come a day of reckoning where all things are set right. That's a, a fixed a movable future anchor point. And in the light of that, Paul says in verse 11 that he, he tries to persuade others, to, to help others to see that future heavenly reality, the coming judgment. And really, to, to do that, to seek to persuade others in the light of that coming judgment, that, that just makes sense. Uh, to, to return to that tent analogy uh, for, for some people, perhaps many people in our affluent Western society, the, the tent of their life is, well, it can be pretty good. You know, their, their tent is, is not the $79 tent from Kmart with a broken pole and, and a leaky roof. I've actually got one of those. Um, the tent of their life is, is much more like one of, one of these uh, beachfront fancy chalet tents uh, that, that we once saw in a caravan park uh, um, once. I think it's Agnes Waters, actually, if you're wondering where it is. Uh, th these tents are amazing. Fully equipped with TV, with lounges, air conditioning, would you believe, and an ensuite. If people are living in their fancy chalet tents on the beachfront, enjoying life, thinking this is as good as it gets, but we know that a tsunami is coming their way, what are we going to do? Well, we, we don't kick back in, in our own beachfront chalet tent and, and think about how we might expand, the, you know, put another room on or install under uh, carpet heating. And, no, we do whatever we can to, to warn them, to persuade them of the reality that's coming. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so we seek to persuade people. That eternal perspective, that should motivate us. What is it that motivates us in life? What is it that gets us out of bed in the morning, other than the alarm clock? Um, what is it that drives us? What is it that inspires us? Paul says here that that comes from looking to the future. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But he says it also comes from looking to the past. Look there with me, verse 14. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Christ's love is what drives Paul, compels him, controls him, constrains him, surrounds him. The love that has been shown in the past fact and reality that one died for all. Jesus died for our sin, in our place. In verse 21 it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
That is, a, that is a deep and profound verse. It's well worth pausing in and taking in what that's saying. That is that God is a, is a holy God. He is perfect and righteous and good and, and holy. And, and our sin, our rebellion against him, our rejection of him, that is a big problem. Left to ourselves, we face God's righteous judgment because of our sin. We're left facing death. But Jesus, out of love for us, took that punishment upon himself. As it says, he who had no sin took on sin for us such that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness before God. That, that we might be holy, we might be cleansed, we might be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with him. That is the great exchange of the gospel. That we deserve death. And Jesus deserves life. But he takes our death and gives us life. Such is his love for us that Jesus became the great sin offering. What deep, what profound love. He died for me. He died for you. There is Christ's love. He died, it says, for all. Now, this doesn't mean that, that every individual person will be saved. Uh, we know from elsewhere in the scripture that that's not the case. Rather, it, it means that salvation reaches to all, past, present, future. This was the once for all sacrifice for all sin of history. Jesus' death was sufficient for all sin. One died for all. But notice what it says next. It says, and therefore all died. Now, what does that mean? In what way have all died? I, mean, I look around the room, you guys don't really look dead. You look very much alive. I mean, some of you might have fallen asleep. So I'm just getting hot. I'm going to take this off. You might have fallen asleep, um, but I think you're still alive. What does it mean that all died? Well, it means that our, our old life, the sinful nature for which Christ died, that sinful nature has been put to death with Christ. As it says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Our old life has died with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Or Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a verse to, to memorise, to stick on your wall, to, to commit to your heart, to remind yourself of day by day. I have been crucified with Christ and, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me and the, the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loves me and he gave himself for me. So it's saying our, our old life, our sinful nature has been put to death with Christ. It's been dealt with. So then... If our motivation in life is, is Christ's love, if that's what compels us, if, if our old life has, has died, our old self has died, then what are we meant to do? 
Well, the next verse, verse 15, tells us, and this is my favourite, most, my most favourite verse in the Bible. Verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's worth reflecting and asking yourself, do, you, do I live for myself? See, without Christ, without, without the love of Christ, I think everyone lives for themselves. That's kind of our default position, that life equals self in its various forms. You know, my comfort, my security, my success, my achievement, my wealth, my education, my travel, my entertainment, my happiness... Even my family. You might think, oh, living for family, that's not living for yourself, that's other. But yeah, but they're my family. They're an extension of, of me. It's worth pondering if, if those things, if they're the sort of things that, that fill up your thoughts, your ambitions, your goals. Because that's actually normal in this world. You've probably heard me say before that the, the great Australian dream What's the great Australian dream? It's to, to, it's to get the, the best education, the best training, to get the best job, to get the most money so that you can, can travel to the best places and, and buy a house to live in the, you know, in the best suburb with the best toys and, and have some kids who can do the same thing. You can get the best education, the best training, to get the best job, to get the most money, to etc. And then you build a, a nice little nest egg for retirement so that you can enjoy life and travel and relax before you die. Friends, that's the great Australian beachfront chalet tent dream. But you know, sadly, for many people who call themselves Christians, the great Australian Christian dream is pretty much exactly the same, just with a bit of church attendance thrown in. That's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to something radically different. Living for self is the pathway to destruction. But Jesus took that life of self, that path of destruction, and put it to death. He died for us. And if we accept that, then we die to a life of self and we no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us and was raised again. We live for Jesus, not for ourselves. We are, verse 17, new creations. We are, verse 19, reconciled to God. Our, our sin is no longer counted against us. And as we live for Jesus, we, we help to advance that message of reconciliation to others. We implore others to be reconciled to God. Our purpose as ambassadors for Christ is to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. Our purpose is to live for Christ and his mission. And that's not a chore. That's a liberating privilege. I mean, sure, it may cost us, as it cost Paul, but there is nothing greater to live for than the one who made us, who loves us, who died for us, and who welcomes us into his heavenly home and calls us to live for him. How do you do that? How do you live for Christ? 
Well, instead of pursuing the great Australian dream with a bit of church and an occasional prayer thrown in, living for Christ changes our whole foundation to life. Um, We might still have an education and a job and some money and a house and those things. We might need those things as we live in this world, but they're not what matters most. Living for Christ means asking ourselves, well, how, how can I best serve Jesus? And we might answer that question in, in many different ways. Let me just throw out some, some examples. You might think, oh, how can I live for Christ? What does that look like? Well, you might, you might teach your kids or other kids, other people's kids about Jesus. You can pray for your, for your grandkids if you've got grandkids. You can pray for your neighbour, for your, your friends, your family who don't know Jesus. You can dig deep into the Bible yourself so that you, you know Jesus and how he wants you to live. You can serve others at church or teach scripture at school. You, you can love someone by cooking a meal for them or mowing their lawn. You, you can reach out to others in, in your church community and lean into your church community. You can take time over morning tea to, to listen to, to, to others and to, to love them. You can pray for your church. You can pray for a, a friend who's doing it tough. You can visit someone who's lonely. You can call that person in your growth group and ask them how that thing went. You, you can pray for those you see at school, at work, at the shops. You can ask God to save them. If you're married, you can sacrificially love your wife and honour your husband in obedience to Christ. You can honour your ageing parents by looking after them as they get older. You can help out the widow, the unemployed, the sick, the suffering. You can work diligently and honestly at work and seek to honour Christ in the way that you go about your work. You can give generously and sacrificially of your time, of your money, to advance the cause of the gospel. You can live in so many different ways, no longer for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again. As you go about doing all those different things, yeah, you'll, you'll organise life with some sort of house and job that, that gives you the time and energy to live for Jesus in all of life. The Christian life is a radical reorienting from a self-driven life of this world to a Christ-centred life of living for him. I'll say that again. The Christian life is a radical reorienting from the self-driven life of this world to a Christ-centred life of living for him. So I want to just simply ask, who are you living for? You're either living for Christ or you're living for yourself. If you're not a Christian, and there may be some here this morning or watching online who is not a Christian, I want to say I'm really glad that you're here. And, and I hope this is helpful for giving you an insight into what it is that, that Jesus has done for you and what he calls you to. And I want to implore you to change, to see the, the bigger picture of life both now and beyond this world. Because if Jesus is right, if the, if the Bible is right, and I'm convinced it is, and at the end of the day we all have to do something with this and work out, well, what do we make of it? If Jesus is right, if the Bible is right, then we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day. So I want to implore you, don't go there unprepared. Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you. He took what your sin deserves for you. Be reconciled to God. 
Turn over control of your life to him. Trust him, accept him as the ruler, as the king in your life and live for him. And if you are a Christian, which is the case for, for most or many here, I want to ask the same question. Who are you living for? This part of God's word puts it so clearly, so simply, that that Jesus died for us so that we would live for him. So brothers and sisters, see the big picture. See the big picture of life in this world. Don't live for yourself and your own little canvas kingdom. Live for Jesus and his eternal kingdom. There's a story uh, many of you would have heard um, I think Colin Buchanan has it in one of his songs and I think it actually comes from a John Piper sermon originally that there's this couple. They're in their late 50s. They retire to a beautiful house by the beach. They have a beautiful boat. They play golf and tennis and they collect shells. Now picture them before the Jesus Christ on the great day of judgment where they say, Look, Lord, see my shells? Shells smells. It's what you do for God that counts. So don't waste your life. Let's live for Jesus. What's your goal in life? What's your goal for the rest of your life, whether that's one year, 10 years, 50 years, 80 years? How about this? Christ's love compels me because I'm convinced that he died for me and therefore I died. And he died for me that I should no longer live for myself but for him who loves me and gave himself for me. God's word speaks to to me, it challenges me, it reminds me, I hope it does for you also. I think it it washes through the the messiness, the complexity of life, and it, it says so simply and clearly, Christ's love compels you. Don't live for yourself, live for him. What does that look like in your life? It could look like any number of things. It'd be worth sitting down, thinking about, pondering and reflecting on, well, what does it look like in my life? Maybe talk to, talk to someone on it or write something on a bit of paper. You know, I'm no longer living for myself, but for him who died for me and, and was raised again, therefore, and finish the sentence. But let's be real. If you're living for yourself, come to Christ. Be reconciled to God. And if you know Christ, then don't live for yourself. Live for him. Let's pray. Our Lord God and gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your your goodness to us, your love for us, shown in Jesus' death for us. Father, we thank you for your offer of reconciliation to yourself in Christ, that you no longer count our sins against us. Father, forgive us our sin. Forgive us for the ways that we we have and do live for ourselves. And Father, lift our eyes from, from just seeing the here and now and help us to live now in the light of the eternal home that you have in store for us. Help us to live now, not for ourselves, but for Christ who died for us 
and was raised again. And we ask in his mighty name. Amen.